Today we are going to kick off our player deep dive series. We're going to start off by talking about Andy Abanez and Zach McKinstry, two really unique cases in 2023. And at the end, we'll talk about their futures in the Tigers organization as well. All today on Locked on Tigers. You are Locked on Tigers, your daily Detroit Tigers podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Locked On Tigers. I am, of course, your host, Scott Bentley. Today is Wednesday, October 11th, 2023. Thank you so much for making Locked On Tigers your first listen every single day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts, including YouTube, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets. Guaranteed. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On. To get started. Alrighty. Well, you know, we talked about it a little bit yesterday. Uh, first off, hope everyone have, is having a fantastic Wednesday and uh, had a great Tuesday as well. You know what? A fantastic Tuesday as well, actually. I hope every day has been fantastic. Um, so we talked about it a little bit yesterday. If you tuned in, uh, shout out to you. I appreciate the uh, continued support by all of y'all uh, for this show. And we had brought up just what we're going to be doing on this show for the foreseeable future. You know, after the World Series, we're going to hit the ground running, okay? We got so much to go over after the World Series wraps up. We're going to be talking, you know, player option and and team options are going to be due. Uh, We have tenders, non-tenders. We have decisions that were of people that have to be put on the 40-man to prevent them from being Rule 5 eligible. Uh, We have the re-signing period. Then, obviously, we have free agency. And then in winter... Uh, you know, in December, we will have uh, winter meetings and whatnot. So post World Series, we will have a ton to talk about as far as news and notes go. But for non-playoff teams from game 162 until after the World Series, nothing happens because nothing can happen until all the teams are done playing. So we are in this period where uh, we, we have an opportunity to discuss something over the next couple of weeks. And I really want to do deep dives on all these players. And this isn't a new thing. I've done this the last few off seasons, but I really think it's important while we have this time to discuss and, and lay out all of the information on these players. Right. And like, you watch this season, right? If you're a listener to this show, I'm assuming you watch quite a lot of Tigers baseball this year. Like you're, you have your own opinion and, and you know where most of these players are and what they're good at and what they're not. But I, I think it's just important before we get to the decision-making days, right? Where we're going to be discussing the decisions that have to be made on a lot of these guys to get as much information on all these players out there so that you can formulate than your own opinion on what to do with these guys. Okay, cool. So we're going to start off by talking about Andy Abanez. And the reason I chose Andy Abanez and Zach McKinstry is because I think that they are very fascinating conversations already, but but together as well. Like these are these are two guys that could be fighting for each other's roster spots in 2024, right? Like when you talk about utility type of players for next year, I think that that is, like, the, A, there's a real chance that they're both here. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But B, I think that if you only want one, like, they're, they're going to be fighting directly with each other, more so than Zach Short and, and, and like, Nevin and, and some of the other guys that are on this roster. So 
I think it's it's a uh, it's it's interesting to have them in the same episode and kind of put them back to back. Let's start with Andy Ibanez. Okay, Andy Ibanez ends this season, the 2023 campaign, with 114 games played, a 264 average, a 312 on base percentage, a 433 slug. Uh, that's good enough for a 1.6 F WAR. Again, F being Fangraphs WAR, um, a 103 WRC plus. He had, I'm trying to find his OPS. There it is, a 744 OPS on the season. And again, a WRC plus of over 100. He was an above league average hitter, Andy Abanez. And that 1.6 war that he ended with, uh, just for context, was the fourth highest amongst non-pitchers on the Detroit Tigers in 2023. This dude was not only an above league average hitter, he was your fourth most valuable offensive asset he was above Torkelson now I not using that for narrative purposes a lot of people are going to freak out about that uh Torkelson plays first base which war hates war is 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 a flawed stat in in some regards and I I I think it's great for context and I I love using it in terms of player value there are certainly flaws with war and I and I think like first basemen just always get absolutely hosed in war and on top of that, Torque was a really bad defensive first baseman, which like war is just going to hate. So that's why that is what it is. But we're talking about Andy Abanez here. And, and like that is good. That That is a successful waiver claim. So we can start off that if we're starting at the beginning, a, a plus, right? Like how, how could you have really, could you have expected more from Andy Abanez? Then an over 100 OPS and WRC plus in 114 games, having the fourth most F war amongst hitters in your lineup. I, I think it's preposterous to think that that more was expected of him. So we'll start with that. Good, good waiver claim. Now, when talking about the value of Andy Abanez and what he did in 2023 and what he could do in 2024. I want to start with outside of the batter's box. Okay. I want to start with what he does defensively because he played some third base this year and he had solid. He was fine at third, uh, at third base. He was a net zero defender at first base. He was a plus one. And at second base, he was a plus two. And almost all of his value at second base came from the fact that he was absolutely phenomenal. I cannot stress enough how good he was. He was otherworldly to his left. And I think that he was so good to his left. He was a plus four to his left. He was a minus two to his right at second base. I think he was so good to, and that was an eye test thing too. Like if you watched e even a hundred games, even 50 games of Tigers baseball this year, I can almost assure you, you saw at least one play of Andy Ibanez running towards first base uh, and, and making a play into the gap in between first and second. So like he, he has, he, he has a lot of value defensively going to his left and it made a lot of great plays there. Um, and that ended the season with a plus three, Outs above average, which is a, a defensive stat. That in DRS, I some people like one more than the other. I kind of view it as like depending on what position we're talking about, I like a different one. Um, 
And, and in this case, I'm, I'm fine with using OAA. That's uh, in the 83rd percentile in all of baseball. Top 17% in the league in, in range. Uh, which is uh, a lot of what OAA is trying to to calculate there. Now, his arm strength is terrible, but he's a second baseman, so that's not as big of an asset. Um, and then he's a middle-of-the-pack sprint speed guy. So outside of the batter's box, he gave you positive fielding value, around league average base running value. And then in the batter's box, we switch into that conversation, he was about a league average hitter. Which, again, for a waiver claim is obviously great. But now we have to start talking about what limitations in the batter's box he may have. What is going to prevent Andy Abanez from just becoming a 850 OPS guy, right? Like, what is the reason as to why expecting more out of him in 2024 might not be the I don't I don't want to say like best idea. That that sounds like a really negative connotation, but like why we can expect next year to maybe if he can replicate 2023 next year, I'd be happy. I'd be thrilled. Actually, if he even has a 90 WRC plus next year and is a slightly below league average hitter, I still think that that's going to bring some value to this team. So we're going to talk about what he does in the batter's box and what value he brought in 2023. And then obviously we'll, we'll kind of tie that into what to expect out of him in 2024. We'll do that right after I tell y'all about our friends over at FanDuel. Look, October baseball is back, baby. And you can make a postseason debut with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Join FanDuel today, and when you get started, you can have $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to create your new account. Then you can get get in on the action. Goodness, from first pitch to the final out. Bet on everything from strikeouts to home runs, who will win the game, etc. And you don't have to wait for the whole game to get your win either. You can predict what will happen in the next at-bat with quick bets. So step up to the plate this postseason with $200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sports betting partner of Major League Baseball. All right, everybody, welcome back here. Segment two of Locked on Tigers. I appreciate you all for tuning in, making us your first listen every single day. Shout out to the everydayers that do tune in every day. I appreciate you all greatly. Uh, so we are going to tomorrow, we'll talk about a couple more players and hopefully again, by the end of the world series, hopefully we'll have gotten through at least most of the major league roster. And if we have time, maybe we'll even dabble into some prospects as well. Um, and, uh, and whatnot. So Andy Abanez, we're talking about what made his 2023 work and what limitations he might have on offense to prevent him from getting any better. And, and again, like I don't say this in a negative connotation. Like he, he could we have, I could legitimately could not have predicted or asked for any more out of him in 2023 than what he gave us. Okay. So, so tip of the cap, fantastic season. He had an 820 OPS against lefties on the season, 820 and a 710 against righties, which is like not bad, right? That's below league average at that at that point, but a 523 slugging percentage against left-handed hitting, pitching, geez, against lefties. Unbelievably impressive. Now, the thing with Andy Abanez that, you know, we, we've always had a player like this, as I shouldn't say that. In my time being the host of this show, we have always had at least one player like this, right? And like we have Javi as well, who's a free swinger. But like we have Andy Abanez now as well. And before that, it was Jonathan Scope. And the one thing I all, if you're a really long time listener, okay, the one thing I would always say about Jonathan Scope is that 
he's because he's such a free swinger, but he has some pop. When he's hot, you're going to love him. And when he's cold, he is going to be cold. And Andy Abanez, because of his free swingingness, perfectly epitomizes that. A five, this is all like pretty similar sample size as far as like plate appearances month by month. Okay. May, 555 OPS. June, 912. July, 669. August, 767. And September, 905. The definition of a box of chocolate, you never know what you're going to get. Like it, it's, it's, it's just a complete toss up and it's, it's, he's putting the ball in play, right? But he's swinging at everything. His chase rate, 14th percentile, one of the lowest in baseball, his walk rate, 23rd percentile, bottom quarter of the league, but his whiff rate, 65th percentile solid. And his K rate is just under the 80th percentile. He's just outside of the top 20% in the league. So he over a 6% walk rate on the year, better than Javi's like four and a half percent, but like, it's not very high, but his K rate is 18% on the year, right? Below 20%. You're talking about a dude that doesn't strike out very often. So that all being put together brings you to a, a guy that I think would be a rather valuable asset as a utility player next year. And I, I, the first time when I, when I was doing show prep and the first time I was kind of game planning, what I wanted to say about these guys, I I kept using the term bench bats. And I felt like if I came on air and said bench bats, people would kind of associate that with a guy who's going to play like 40 games or, you know, he's just going to be like a pinch hitter late. This is an AJ Hinch baseball team. Okay. So I'm going to use the term utility player and not bench bat. He is if if you're on this roster, you're you're going to get in the in the dang game. I almost just cursed. You're going to get in the game, all right? You're you're going to play. And he's going to Hinch is going to use matchups and he's going to utilize the the defensive versatility that like a player like McKinstry has. We'll talk about him in a second. Um but you're you're going to you're going to play. You're going to play ball if you're on a roster. So I I think that there is value I, I don't want. We'll talk about this a little bit more at the end. I think I would be frustrated if either of these guys were penciled in as everyday starters next year. But if you want to bring them in as a utility asset, you know, not maybe not in the opening day lineup, but still playing 100 to 120 games next season, I, I don't think I'd be upset uh, about that. The limitations with Andy Abanez at the plate are because he swings at everything. And Another thing that I kind of, when, when I was doing my, my research for this, uh, a thing that I found kind of fascinating, all of his home runs were on pitches up and in. He had one single home run that was not up and in. Uh, if, if Baseball Savant has so much data, it's it's public. Anybody can, can go on there and see all the information that I'm seeing. Um, and, and they have charts. You, you can go to, to zones. They have stat cast like zones and they break down the strike zone into nine boxes and then the the ball zone, the non-strike zone into four big boxes, okay? And Andy Abanez, he, all of his home runs were in the four boxes that were middle, middle to up and in. All the Only one of his homers was, and he had one home run low in the zone all year. And his ground ball rate on balls low in the strike zone is astronomically high. Like I, like like 70%, 60%, 71%. And his launch angle 
on balls low in the zone in all of these squares. Negative three, two, four, one, five, three. So if, if he gets the ball up, he can drive it. If he gets the ball low, he's still going to make contact with it, but it, it's going to be driven into the ground. And I think that all of the, you know, bat path mechanics, his mechanics drive me absolutely nuts. He steps in the bucket every single swing. It's remarkable. He was an above-league average hitter this year, despite putting his foot in the bucket, his front foot in the bucket, every single time he swung the bat. It's remarkable to me, but it worked for him. Um, and and I think a lot of it's bat speed. And, like, he's in his 30s now. Like, he's 30 years old. There's some questions about how, like, much you can maintain bat speed once you hit your 30s. I understand all of that. Um and the, the the stats that I just laid out to you, I think, put some limitations on how good he like could be. Like He's not going to draw walks. He's going to have really bad months where he just swings at everything. His chase rate and his swing rate on balls, not strikes, but like out of the strike zone, balls low in a way, is, is very high. Uh, and he swings and misses at a lot of them. Those are the balls that he does whiff on. So like that... That is is something that's going to put a limitation on how good he can be unless he makes some adjustments in his 30s on, on the type of hitter that he is, which is relatively rare, but not impossible. All of that to say, if Andy Abanez was back next year as a utility player, and again, like that, that means not in the starting lineup. Like he he you're not penciling in Andy Abanez. We'll get into a little bit more at the end. There's one exception I have, but we'll talk about that later. If he's a utility player next year, I'm not upset about it. Again, this, this was one of the four most valuable hitters on your team, according to War, when it was all said and done, okay? Uh, I don't expect him to repeat this next year, and if he does poorly, you sign him to a cheap contract, you bring him back cheap, and, and you just give him the John and the Scope treat, treatment, right, and DFA him a couple months into the season if he's struggling. Like, it's not a long-term asset, but I, I think he probably at least earned the conversation of another year, which is what we're having now. Now, that transitions into Zach McKinstry, who I think is in a rather similar position, which is why I wanted to do these guys together. Zach McKinstry finished with 1.2 F4, the sixth most on the team this year. In 148 games, he ended with an 8.5% walk rate, but well, it's a little bit fraudulent. We'll talk about that later. 21.8% uh, K rate, a 231 average, a 302 OBP, and a 351 slugging percentage. Uh, that adds up to a, oh my goodness, I just completely lost my train of thought. There it is, a 654 OPS, which is obviously well below league average. That's an 81 WRC plus, so you know 19% worse than league average as far as uh, weighted runs created. So uh, certainly did not provide a ton offensively after the month of May. And that's like a really important thing when talking about Zach McKinstry, right? Um if you look at his month-to-month -month splits, 789 OPS in April, 865 OPS in May, 865 with 20 walks and 15 strikeouts. That is remarkable. Over 300 average and 20 walks in a month. I'm pretty sure him and Juan Soto both led baseball in walks in the month of May with like 20. Or Juan maybe had even more because Juan Soto is a, a freak when it comes to drawing walks. But like, that's that's remarkable. June four eighty five OPS, July six ten OPS, August six seventy four, September five thirty seven. He had an OPS over eight hundred the first two months of the season, and from June first to the end of the year had an OPS in the five hundreds. 
remarkably different. And we all know why, if you're an everyday or you listen to the show really in any capacity, A, I appreciate you, but B, I've said it a million times. He, he loves swinging at balls that are like at his feet. Uh, <laughs> he loves him a low curve ball. Okay. And we're going to talk about why he loves low curve balls because there is an answer. And I haven't really gotten time to, to talk about that. But we'll talk about why he loves swinging at those pitches right after I tell y'all about our friends over at, drumroll please, Jace Medical. Everyone should be empowered to take care of themselves and their loved ones during the unexpected. That's why Jace Medical offers the Jace case. The Jace case provides five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use and gives you the peace of mind so that you are not just hoping to have access for medication in an emergency. Jace Medical makes sure you have the medication in hand, and it's simple. They handle everything from online evaluation to licensed pharmacy medication, delivery, and ongoing consultation and care. So don't get caught unprepared. Get $20 off of these life-saving antibiotics today from Jace Medical by using the code LOCKEDON. That's LOCKEDON, all caps and all one word, at checkout on jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. All right, everybody, welcome back here. Third and final segment of Locked on Tigers. Appreciate y'all for tuning in, making us your first listen every single day. So talking about Zach McKinstry. So all year I have talked about how Zach McKinstry is just absolutely in love with swinging at curveballs that like bounce on his toes. And that is objectively true. Like that, it's remarkable. Uh, he First off, he had a sub-200 batting average against all breaking balls and all off-speed like change-up pitches. So not a great recipe for success there. Um, when looking at, again, this is just like you can go do your own research and, and see this at Baseball Savant. Um, when looking at the zone breakdown, <laughs> the, the, one, the only one we really need to talk about to, to prove this point is, is the K rate. His strikeout percentage, when breaking this down by zone, okay, nine different boxes, a three-by-three grid in the strike zone, and then four boxes in each quadrant of outside of the strike zone. In the quadrant of balls low and in, okay, he had a 64% K rate. 64. He had 113 strikeouts on the air. Do you know how remarkably high that is? 64%. I cannot stress enough how unbelievably high that is. 64% of all of his strikeouts this season came on, on balls that were low and inside, obviously so low that they were out of the strike zone. His K rate on anything in the strike zone is 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 low like uh, up and away 22 percent like that's obviously high but five percent five percent seven percent six percent on balls in the strike zone like it's it's <laughs> it's remarkable how high it is for those balls that are low in it um whiff rate he doesn't make contact with them over 50% whiff rate on balls loaded. Now, if he just wasn't swinging at them, then I don't care, you know, if it's two swings, but he has a 50% whiff rate, then fine, so be it. Um, but but he swings uh, a lot. Uh, 38% of all pitches he saw low and in that were balls low, he hacked at. Now, the reason why, okay, and and, and this, is, this is analytics here. It's really not that complicated. 
The reason why he hacks at those is because strikes that are low and in, he absolutely obliterates. And there is the answer to the question. That's really as simple as it is. All of his home runs except one of them all season came on pitches that were either middle-middle or low and in. Actually, he only had one that was middle-middle. Middle-middle, goodness. Um, So seven of his nine home runs were pitches that were low and inside. Okay, and one of those three boxes that were low and in. Uh, Seven of his doubles were on pitches low. All four of his triples were on pitches that were low and in. His slugging percentage on balls low and inside that are strikes low and in. 739, 655, 707. Like an MVP hitter (laughs) when he makes contact on pitches that are strikes low and in the strike zone. That is remarkably high. An ISO of over 300. That's absurdly high. Batting average, 391, 415. 276. So that's why he hacks at like, I I cannot express enough. It's so easy to sit on your couch and be like, wow, this dude just swung at a ball that, that, that bounced on home play. It's so easy. I cannot express enough how difficult it is just to lay off of a major league curveball period. But on top of that, in the back of your mind, knowing if this thing stops in the zone, I know I can beat the absolute heck out of it. But if it goes four inches lower, it's a guaranteed swing and a miss. What a brutal game of poker that is. What an absolutely just mind game that must be every time you step in the batter's box. So that is the answer to to why he is so fond of swinging at those. But the biggest thing, I guess I kind of flipped up my itinerary here and just started talking about his offense. Um, so there, there are big limitations to his offense. Again, this is a guy that had a sub 600 OPS from June 1st to the end of the year. The reason why I'll let you in on a secret. I think that the Tigers, I guess it's not a secret. It's an opinion. I think the Tigers coaching staff loves Zach McKinstry. I think that they love him. And the reason why is because of all of the value he brings outside of of the batter's box. Now, obviously you need to be able to hit to some lick, right? Like you, you can't just go up there and, and, and have a zero batting average throughout the course of the season. But this is a guy that's in the 80th percentile in sprint speed. His base running value is in the 78th percentile in all of baseball. And defensively, he is legitimately a, a massive plus defender. He was in the 85th percentile in OAA uh, with, with four outs above average by the end of the season. But that's almost not even doing it justice because that's a 4AA from a guy who played six different positions. He played all three outfields. He played second, short, and third. The only one of those six that he graded out as a negative defender in was shortstop, and it was just negative one. He was barely a minus defender. And there's an argument that shortstop's the hardest position of all those, right? Or maybe the most important, however you want to word it. So he brings immense value. His arm strength, 96th percentile. He is in the top 4% in all of baseball in arm strength. So he brings you immense value outside of the batter's box. And that is why his war at the end of the season was still 1.2 and was still the sixth highest on the team, not including pitchers. So 
there's a lot of different angles to go from here. Now we'll end the show by talking about what to go. I also I know I spelled breakdown wrong. I I have I have OCD, and um I I don't like when the lines uh take up two rows. I want all of my bullet points to only take up exactly one row. Um I I promise I I talk about it in therapy. But um you know the the, the 2024 outlook of both of these guys is so fascinating. And I think that there's a, an argument that they're fighting for each other's jobs. B that at least one of them will be back. I'm rather confident that at least one of them will be on this team next year, but C, this is the real wrench in the spokes here. I think there's a winning argument, not saying that it's like the only route to success or that it's the end all be all, but I think there's not only an argument, but a potentially winning one, that both of these guys come back and make it through the winter. Now, again, not a guarantee, not needed to be good next year, okay? If I got a notification tomorrow that both of these guys were let go and and we're going to be free agents and not going to be on the team next year, that's not detrimental to, like, the future outlook of the Detroit Tigers organization and and we, you know, would, would start game planning on finding ways to recover. But I think there's a legitimate argument for both of them to come back. And both in utility roles. I cannot express that enough. Genuinely. I don't want to use the word bench bats because utility players will play in over 100 games for an AJ Hinch team. But like, I don't want either of these guys on opening day to be like, oh, this is our everyday third baseman or second baseman. The only exception to that would be Andy Abanez and it would be at third base. And the reason why is because if you wholeheartedly with your chest believe in Jace Young to be the third baseman of this team then I can somewhat understand, okay, we're going to have Andy Abanez play third base until May, through May, until Jace Young proves that he's raking at AAA, and then we'll call him up to be our third baseman going forward, okay? That's the only avenue I would like somewhat tolerate, either of these guys being everyday starters at a set position next season. So I want to make that very clear. My 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 okayness with them coming back it is with the assumption that they will be in a utility man role. But Zach McKinstry gives you legitimate net zero or better defense at six different positions, and he's a plus base runner. And the the walk rate this year, that's something I wanted to bring up too. Like it, he had 20 walks in the month of, of, of May. Like 20 walks. And then he had four to seven in literally every other month, April included, when he had a a really, really good number. So like, I, 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 he's probably not going to walk a lot. Um, he's probably not going to hit for too much. And if he has an OPS in the five hundreds and he's just completely detrimental, then you cut bait with him. But a lefty, that's the other big thing as to reason, as the reason why to think I have, wow, that was not English. The reason as to why I think they can both coexist through the winter is because of righty lefty Zach McKinstry his OPS actually ended up being the exact same against righties and lefties, but he didn't really get any opportunities against lefties. And he had one extra base hit all season against lefties. His slug is terrible. So you you have that platoon where he's going to get more opportunities against righties, can play multiple positions. And Andy Abanez was an OPS over 800 against lefties this year. So, and, and was below league average against righties. And so I think having, okay, we need uh, the the value in in Andy Abanez coming off the bench late in a game could be great, could be immense to be honest with you. 
oh, we have a lefty. They're throwing a lefty out there. We're going to bring in Andy Ibanez. I don't know if it's going to be a hit. Depends on on what the temperature is that day, okay? He's a roller coaster. He's going to have a 400 OPS and a 900 OPS in consecutive months. But the dude's going to put the ball in play. He's not going to he's not going to swing and miss right now, okay? The odds of him striking out are pretty low, especially against a lefty. So having that off your bench, having that to plug in if somebody needs a day off or you like a matchup better, to be able to plug and play that, I think there is value. And, and, and Zach McKinstry brings you the versatility and, and whatnot and, and can at least hit righties a little bit better than he can hit lefties. I, I, I don't think it's a guarantee they're both back. I, I'm not like pounding my fist on the table to bring both these guys back. I, I'm not like super passionate that they must be here. But if I find out that they will both be here next year, I'm, I'm not going to be upset about it. And you also have to remember in the terms and the outlook of utility players like that, like guys that that are are bench players, or and I I'm using the word bench loosely because of AJ Hinge team, but like guys that that have 900 OPSs are not bench players, right? Those are everyday set lineup fixtures. Neither of these guys next year would be at I I would hope set lineup fixtures. But in terms of other players in baseball who are in that similar role, utility bench, whatever you want to call it there's a legitimate chance they would be two of the more valuable utility players, or they, I shouldn't say they will be. They have the potential. They have the ability to be two of the more valuable utility players out there. I don't hate bringing them both back. I think this coaching staff really likes McKinstry. I I think that, that Andy Abanya has proved himself. Um, and, and again, like if you think there's any inkling that you know what, Andy Abanya, he's going to lose some bat speed in his age 31 season. Then then cut bait, okay? I, I'm Again, I'm not hard-pressed on this. I, I'm, I'm going to trust the, the powers that be with these decisions. But these were successful 2023 additions, both of them. I think pretty objectively were successful 2023 additions for what we gave up to get them, which was nothing for Abanez and a lower-level prospect for McKinstry. And now have at least a conversation to come back next year. Thanks for making Lockdown Tigers your first listen every single day. Appreciate y'all for tuning in, making us your first listen every day. We'll be back tomorrow talking about some more players, doing some deep dives on some more players on this roster, hopefully to get through everybody. I appreciate you all greatly. Um, yeah. Peace and love. Going to Therapy's Dope. I'll catch y'all tomorrow. Oh, well, share your opinion. I, I'm very interested in, in what uh, everybody's stance is on both of these guys, one or the other, neither, et cetera. Where you stand on uh, the role of Andy Abanez and Zach McKinstry going forward. Okay. That already, peace and love. Going to Therapy's Dope. Okay. <laughs> love you. See you tomorrow. Bye.